We'll go ahead and take a seat, and we're going to be headed back to John 13 this morning, and looking at a passage from John 13 in this series as we go through John 13, we're calling it Learning to Love, as we look at this example of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, calling them to love each other. We started this whole series by talking about this idea of a master class, remember? Uh, This idea of somebody who is at the very top of their field, somebody that's kind of the best at what they do, then giving advice and counsel and training to you. And even just thinking about that prospect, thinking about somebody who is at the be- who is the best at what they do, I couldn't help but remember just a few weeks ago now watching the Super Bowl and watching Tom Brady win his seventh Super Bowl ring. Now, let me be clear, I am not a Tom Brady fan. I am a Miami Dolphins fan. Don't ask me why. There's no good reason for it other than blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Um, (laughs) But all that to say, because they're a divisional rival for most, you know, the Patriots, I've disliked Tom Brady for longer than all of you probably is how that goes. But at the end of the day, you have to respect what he has been able to accomplish. Winning seven Super Bowls, he as an individual has more Super Bowls than any team in the NFL has. I don't care how you slice it, he's the greatest to ever do it. And one of the incredible things is that he's still doing it at 43 years old. Watching the Super Bowl, I was with some people from the McMillan Life Group, and we were all thinking about that, looking at each other, and there was only one person at that gathering who was not younger than Tom Brady. So we're looking out, you know, a bunch of us, our kids are all running around playing, working with each other, saying, this guy is older than us, and he is doing this. Well, what if he were to come give a master class and say, hey, do you want to be in great shape when you're 43 or when when you're whatever you are? Do you want to kind of stay at your peak for as long as possible? Here's how you do it. And the problem is not going to be, oh, that's really hard to understand. The problem is he's just done a lot to take care of himself that you and I aren't doing, right? The problem isn't, whoa, man, how is he doing that? I don't understand. It's that the problem is ice cream tastes really good right? The problem is I like fried chicken. Who doesn't like fried chicken and other things fried? That We're eating a lot of things that he hasn't eaten for a long time, right? The problem isn't so much knowing and understanding, it is doing. And that's where you might say, well, having a million dollars and a personal masseuse, a personal trainer, and a personal chef probably doesn't hurt either, right? Uh, But I, I think of someone else. I think of my high school basketball coach, right? And he would always tell us things like, guys, Don't eat like you're 20 when you're 30 or you'll look like you're 50 when you're 40, right? Again, that's that's not rocket science. That's not hard to understand. It's another thing to actually do that, right? And he, my basketball coach, he was someone that practiced what he preached because even in his 50s, when he got on the court with us high school guys, he would still show us a thing or two. And he was still one of the best players on the court, not because he knew something that we didn't know, but because he did something. As we look again at John 13 today, that reminds me of this passage we're going to look at. It's a pretty simple, straightforward passage. It is not a passage that's hard to understand. But what we're going to see today, the difficulty isn't understanding this passage. The difficulty is in obeying this passage and doing what it says. So let's open up our Bibles, if you haven't already, to John chapter 13, where we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. Today And as you remember, there's kind of two themes that I think actually come together in our passage today that we've seen so far in this text. 
First, we saw a lesson really on love and service from Christ as he gets up from the table and washes the disciples' feet. Then last time we were in John 13, we saw kind of a different lesson as Jesus was trying to talk to Peter about the importance of cleansing and that Jesus is the only one that can cleanse us from our sins. But now I think mostly he comes back to this first theme of serving one another and loving one another and giving us an example in that. So please follow along as I read verses 12 through 17 this morning. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Right? So again, you you see this is not a super complicated passage. It's pretty straightforward. Basically, the whole passage is Jesus making an argument from the greater to the lesser, saying, hey, if I have done these things, if I have taken the role of a servant, you should take on the role of a servant. And he says, do you understand what I have done to you? And we'll come back to that, but this is after he's resumed his place, put on his outer garment, the foot washing is over, and he reminds them, you call me teacher and Lord. You, you, you call me rabbi. You call me master, right? Which we know that that word obviously was used in that culture for master and slave, but we also know that's the word uh, used throughout the New Testament to talk about God. And both are right when applied to Jesus. I, I am the master. I am God in the flesh. And we know the disciples knew that. Peter has already said that at, at this point. He's confessed, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And, and Jesus affirms them. You should call me teacher. You should call me Lord. You are right for so I am. And then verse 14 kind of gives the the point of the passage, if I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, right? Jesus even said, hey, the distinction between me and you is way greater than the distinction between each other. And so if I'm washing your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. That's this passage in a nutshell. And so as we break it down, I want us to start by thinking about the if, right? Jesus saying, if I have washed your feet, let's take a minute and think about the significance of that and watch that. Point number one, if you're taking notes, we want to start today by watching, watch how the master served. Jesus is the master servant, and in this case, he was the master, the Lord, who became the servant. You want to talk about the goat. He's the the greatest of all time when it comes to love and serving others. And he calls himself and affirms, hey, I am the teacher. He was their their guide, their their leader. And notice none of them are arguing with that. They're willing to accept that. He is their master. And unlike what would happen if you started going around calling yourself somebody else's master today, nobody got offended at that, because they're like, no, Jesus, you are our master. And he's basically saying, if I got up 
And I performed the most menial task that could possibly be performed. If you remember, when we looked at the foot washing, we talked about how it was such a low task that they tried to avoid even having Jewish slaves do this. When it came to the foot washing, it was, hey, do we have any Gentile slaves around here? Because this is so low, we don't even want to make Jewish slaves do it. And Jesus is saying, I'm the master. I'm the teacher. But I'm going to get up and do the lowliest task. And really, I think the two lessons of this text, a lesson on service and a lesson on cleansing, are combined in this passage. And I think that's some of what Jesus is getting at uh, in verse 12. Do you understand what I have done to you? And I think he's saying, hey, what I've done in this one moment by washing your feet is really like a small snapshot of what my whole life is about. Jesus is saying, hey, right now, I just gave up my position of honor at the table to cleanse your feet. Well, my whole life was about giving up my position of honor in heaven to cleanse your soul from your sins, right? This one moment gives a picture of what Jesus' whole incarnation was about. And we see a picture of that, but when we turn to Philippians chapter 2, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And it's a familiar passage starting in verse 5, but I was struck looking at this, how the language in this passage, which we normally just think of for the life of Christ, it really applies even to this moment of the washing of their feet. And Jesus, what he's doing in this moment is nothing different from what he did in the whole time that he spent on this earth. Look at verse 5 where it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Right? And I look at that, you know, he, he was seated at the table in this passage, and he didn't consider that something to be grasped, but he gave that up, and he took on the form of a servant in John 13 by washing their feet. But consider more of what this passage teaches. Verse 7 is interesting when it says, but he emptied himself. Well, what does that mean? A lot of people want to take that to mean that somehow he, he lost his divinity, or he gave up his deity in what he did. And I don't think that's understanding. It explains what did emptying himself look like. It explains it with the next phrase, by taking the form of a servant, right? He didn't lose his deity. He took on the form of a servant. While, this was several years ago now, probably saw commercials for it or something. There was this TV show called Undercover Boss, where the CEO would go undercover at some lower level in his company, and they kicked it all off with kind of what you would think of as the, the prime place to do this. It was an episode on waste management, where the CEO of waste management went and kind of went to the lowest level of his company. Now, he did not give up his authority in doing this. He didn't give up his identity. He still had the power. He was still the CEO, but he clothed himself in the form of a lowly Employee, he, he gave up the private jet uh, for the trash truck. He gave up the corner office suite for the porta potty. He gave up the suit and tie for the fluorescent vest, right? Jesus did not give up his deity, but he gave up uh, sitting, sitting at the Father's right hand in heaven for being born and laid in 
a manger. He gave up the, the glory even of his appearance in heaven to be clothed in human flesh. He did not give up his deity. He clothed it in humanity. And what we need to understand, that was a huge step down for Jesus. His whole incarnation expressed that. And we see that, an example of that, in what we see in John 13. But notice what it goes on to say in verse 8 of Philippians 2. And being found in human form, if that wasn't humiliating enough, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Think about the, the gravity of that statement for a moment. If you grew up in a home like I did, you were reminded... I want to say from time to time, but I think it was more frequent than that. Uh, You were told, you are not the center of the universe. The world does not revolve around you. Anybody been told that before, right? And it's probably something worth being told because it's true. The world does not revolve around us. Not literally, not figuratively. Let's think about Jesus. Well, the world doesn't literally revolve around Jesus, but it revolves because of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 says, all things were made through him and for him. The world was made for Jesus Christ. And not only that, it says he sustains all things. So the world was made for him, but he's also literally the one making sure the world keeps turning and keeps going around the sun. It's all because of him. And Colossians 1 goes on and says, so that in everything he might be preeminent. So The world literally revolves because of Jesus, and it figuratively revolves around him. It's all about him. But even though that's true, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That the one who created all things allowed people he created to take the thorns from a rose that he created and stuff that onto his head and let them nail him to a cross that came from a tree that he created so that he would die for their sins. Jesus did all of that. That's the ultimate example of service, giving up the privileges that he rightfully deserved so that he could serve us. And in this case, cleanse us from our sins. And it's helpful for us to think of this example, because remember, the whole passage in John 13, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. And we need to see everything we're going to experience when it comes to serving others is lesser, right? None of you are as great as Jesus. And I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but there it is, okay? None of you are as great as Jesus. And also the reality is none of us, no matter what happens, really will be humiliated quite to that level, that he was humiliated too. He is the supreme example. And we see more of how he thought. Turn with me now to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at several passages. We're even going to be going back to Philippians 2 in a little bit. But go to Mark chapter 10. We see an interesting occasion here, starting in verse 35, where James and John come to Jesus and basically ask him, hey, can we have the prime spots in the kingdom? Can we be seated at your right hand and your left hand? And actually, when we put this together with the other Gospels, it seems that what actually happened is James and John got their mom to go ask Jesus if they could sit at his right hand and his left hand, right? And Jesus responds in verse 38 by saying to them, you do not know what you're asking. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? What's he talking about there? He's talking about his suffering and his death. That's what he's talking about. Hey, you, you want to be seated in glory? Are you ready to suffer and die like I am? And they're not catching this. They just say, we, we're, we're able, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with, with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Verse 41, and when the other 10 heard it, they were like, oh, bummer, they asked first. No, they became indignant. They got angry at James and John, right? Because they want that position. They're fighting over position. And Jesus, in verse 42, he calls to them and he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then he sums it up all in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying, guys, this is the example. I came into the world not to be served, but to serve. And that's the example that he wants us to follow. And I want to make clear for us that we don't miss the gospel in this passage. In John 13, it is not merely a lesson on how to be a better servant and how to love other people better. No, really at the center of it is you need a savior. And that is why Jesus served. That is why Jesus loved to cleanse you from your sin. And if you're, if you're just going to leave here today and say, all right, I'm going to go be better, right? You're missing the point because we need a savior. We have, we have sinned. We have failed as servants. We're like the disciples here. We want to be first. What we need is a savior. We need to be forgiven. Our hearts need to be changed. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. Then with that new heart, I want us to look at though at what Jesus says here and think about how he viewed this life. He wasn't thinking that it was all about himself. And he wasn't here seeking glory for himself, right? That would come later. But what he's saying right now was the time to serve. And when we looked at John 13, let's go back there now. John 13, when we look earlier in the passage, remember how did we say that Jesus was able to do what he did to love and wash the feet of these people who would abandon him, who would betray him? We saw in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and washed their feet. The key was, hey, I'm trusting that God is going to take care of me, and that frees me up to care for other people. And that's the message we all need to believe. But part of that, too, was Jesus was looking to the future. Hey, glory is coming, but right now is the time for serving. Because that is the mindset that we all need to have. If you're a believer, hey, glory is coming. But right now, he's calling us to serve. And we're going to see more of that as we continue on in this passage. Again, verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Jesus is saying, hey, this is what I've done. Now, you are supposed to go follow 
that example. Let's write that down for point number two. Follow his example. Follow his example. And I want to break that down into a couple parts. Because it's clearly what Jesus is wanting us to do, to do what he is doing. He's saying, hey, a servant is not greater than his master. We're the servants. He's the master. If he served, we're not greater than him. We're going to have to serve. And we're the messengers. He's the one who sent us. We need to follow his example. But first, this whole mindset that we've been talking about from Christ, that's the mindset that we need to have. So the first hyphen as we think about following his example is understand that true greatness comes through service. Understand that true greatness comes through service. Jesus showed that. Greatness didn't come by showing up and telling everybody, look at me, look how wonderful I am. How can I get privileged for myself? No, it came through humbling himself, giving up privileges, serving others. And this is what he expects of us. I want us to look at another passage that's very, very similar to Mark 10. But one, I want us to see something very interesting about it. Go back to Luke chapter 22. So if you're in John, just flip over to the left to the end of Luke. Luke chapter 22. And as you're turning there, if you have an English Standard Version, it kind of puts some headings in there just to help you get your bearings. Over verse 14, it talks about the institution of the Lord's Supper. Okay, when did that happen? Well, the night before Jesus was crucified. We're in John 13. When is that happening? The night before Jesus was crucified. So what we're reading in John 13 and what we're going to see here in Luke 22 are happening on the same night. And even... The foot washing happens, it seems, before the meal. We've already seen the institution of the Lord's Supper. What we're going to see, I think, happens later that night. So how do the disciples respond to this lesson on love, service, and humility? Look at Luke twenty-two, twenty-four. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. That's what the disciples are doing in response to all of this. They're arguing about which one of them is to be regarded as the greatest. And before you go saying, oh, those silly disciples, let's uh, not get on our high horse so fast and realize we're very similar in how we often think. And then Jesus responds by saying something very similar to what he said in Mark 10. That the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, which is actually kind of a really ironic word because you think of a benefactor as someone uh, nice and kind and generous where they were more like, hey, we want the title of that without actually being those things. And then Jesus says very clearly in verse 26, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. He's saying, hey guys, we're supposed to have a very different perspective than the world. And in the time of Christ, this was very countercultural, right? Everybody wants to be the one sitting at the table, not the one serving the people who are at the table. That hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Today, people are the same. This is still radically counter-cultural. People want to be eating their dinner 
at Chandler's, not serving the dinner, right? That's what we want to be. That's the natural desire that all of us has. And Jesus is saying, no, not so among you. You should have different goals as Christian. And even we think about this idea of ambition, which is so prevalent in our world. It's usually, I'm amb- I have ambition to go be great and to go accomplish something and bring glory to myself. Where Jesus is teaching, no, Christian, your ambition should be to serve other people. And again, this is very countercultural, and our culture is even going farther away from this. I came across something this week that was saying there's a big difference in surveys when you ask young people what they want to be when they grow up. It used to give a specific profession. I mean, sometimes they were pretty high, lofty professions, but that's what they would say. What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be a pro athlete, or I want to be an astronaut, or an engineer, doctor, teacher, something like that. Now, when they ask kids, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? The number one answer, I want to be famous, right? There's no specific about what they're going to do. It's just that's the lifestyle that I want to lead. Everybody wants to be a celebrity and live this glamorous life that other people look at and say, oh, I would like that. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is teaching us here. Jesus says Christians should be saying, I want to be a servant. I want to help other people. And I think even if we think about this concept of vocation, what do you do with your life? What is your calling? The world is going to say, hey, what can you go make a name for yourself in and be successful? Where I think a Christian is going to be more, God's called me to work. I want to honor that. I want to provide for myself and for my family. And I want to do something that's going to help other people. And that's why I'm a realtor or a teacher or a nurse or whatever it may be. Because I'm doing something that people need. And that's the way Christians should think. Not, oh, this is for me, but I'm doing what I do for other people. Let's go back now to Philippians chapter 2. We looked already at the example of Christ. Do you know why those verses are there? Do you know why it's giving us the example of Christ in verses 5 through 8? Well, it's because of the commands given in verses 3 and 4. Let's look at those together. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition. That is a shock to the system of our world. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that's when it goes on to say, hey, have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Because God is calling you to consider others more important than yourself. That's what Christ showed. Even though he was more important than others, he acted like we were more important by giving himself for us. We're not supposed to just look out to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And again, we talked about how Jesus, there was a focus on the future. Verse 9, in the wake of all this, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That did not happen while he was here on this earth. That's going to happen Later, the the suffering and the service came before the glory. 
And that's what Jesus is trying to teach all of us. There is glory. Even in Luke 22, he talks about the rewards that his disciples will have. But what comes first is service and suffering. And that's where we really have to take a step back and say, where is our goal? Where is our priority? What are we living for? Uh, Thank you for those of you that prayed for me last weekend when I had the privilege of teaching in in Kansas. And that Saturday was basically all day just talking with a bunch of high schoolers in Kansas about heaven and hell. And when you talk about those things and it comes down to, so would you rather spend eternity in heaven or hell, right? Not exactly the most complicated thing they've ever had to think about, right? It's uh, what is Heaven, I'll take easy decisions for 200, Alex, right? We all would rather go to heaven than go to hell. But I had to try to teach them, guys, that's not really how the choice is going to look to you. Really, it's going to come down to, do you want to live for yourself or do you want to follow Christ? Do you want to live for right here, right now? Or are you going to follow God and live for eternity and live for later? That is a lot harder. But Jesus in this life, he wasn't living for right here, right now. He was serving and looking to later. He is calling us to not live for right here, right now, but to serve and live for later. So we need to have that mindset that Jesus had. But if we really have that mindset, it's going to lead us to do what Jesus did. Look again at John 13 and look at that last verse in our passage. So clear And we need to sit with this for a while this morning where he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Knowing these things isn't what Jesus is talking about. And partly this isn't rocket science. It's a pretty simple point in this passage. But the blessing comes from doing it. It's not knowing, oh, I need to treat others as more important than myself. It's actually Living like that. Put that down for the final point there this morning. Live like others are more important. We need to actually live like others are more important. So I want us to spend the rest of our time this morning to try to take a step back and to really think about how this applies to our lives. Pastor Charlie has been teaching through James as he's preaching. And last week talked about, hey, if the faith is real, it's going to lead to action. Or chapter 1 of James, we're not just be supposed to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And Jesus highlights that right there in verse 17. So I want us to take some time even to think, and all of you to examine your own lives, and we're going to consider some various areas of our lives to consider, am I doing what Jesus has called me to do? But before we get started on that, I want to clear up one thing. Some people, when they look at Hey, if I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Some people want to take that very literally and are maybe expecting, hey, at this point, the ushers are going to come down and they've got basins and pitchers. And I want you to all start taking your shoes and socks off because you're going to turn to the person next to you and wash their feet. No, I don't think Jesus is speaking literally here. And frankly, I think that would be much easier than what Jesus is actually calling us to do. That's actually kind of a very pharisaical way to, hey, reduce this command of Christ and this teaching of Christ to a little specific thing that I can just check the box and do whether my heart is right or not. I think Jesus is calling us to a radical lifestyle of service and actually living like others are more significant than we are. So I want us to think through some common areas that all of us probably experience in our lives. 
And the first is our homes. Think through your home. Do you live like others are more important at your house? And before we get to marriage or parenting, I want to talk to children in the room. Those of you that are still living with mom and dad. And I want you to think about how this applies to you. Do you have siblings? Uh, do you, does, has anybody ever naturally liked to think that, oh, I'm the least important of my siblings? <laughs> no, we all naturally think the opposite. God is calling you, if you've got brothers and sisters at home, to live like, hey, they're more important than I am. And to seek to serve them. And I feel like I can testify to the benefits of that. I have two older brothers. And I honestly feel like I benefited from two older brothers that didn't just treat me like the punk little brother. But they actually cared about me. They actually let me hang out with them. They actually invested in me as a person. Right? That's not very common among siblings. But... If you're living at home, I want you to think about how can you bless your siblings? And I want you to think about your parents and realize they are not just there to give you whatever you want. No. And God is calling you to serve. Hey, kids in the room, do you ever stop and think, what can I do to make my dad's life better? What can I do to serve my mom today instead of just endlessly thinking about what can she do for me? This is the way Christ would have Christian children think. Those of you maybe that you're not living with siblings, you're not living with your parents, maybe though you have roommates. And all of us that have had that situation, at some point we've had that roommate that never did the dishes, right? All they did was add to the pile instead of helping reduce the pile. If that's you, what does washing the feet of that roommate look like? Maybe in this case, it looks not like washing their feet, but just washing the dishes and doing it without complaining and doing it without any passive-aggressive comments about it, right? But just doing it to love the other person. Let's talk about marriage and let's talk about husbands. There's a couple specific passages in the New Testament that give very specific direction to husbands. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, Ephesians 5. But if you say, hey, outside of those, I want a passage that I can study as a husband to grow as a godly husband. I submit to you John chapter 13. This is a great passage to study on how to grow as a husband because what does Ephesians 5 say again? Husbands, love your wives as, what is it? Help me out. What what does it say? As what? As As Christ loves the church. Well, Boom, exhibit A, how did Christ love the church? Here's the 12 apostles, right? The people that are going to go on to be the pillars of this new church. Jesus is washing their feet. Husbands, this should be how you think. And you might say, well, the Bible says, though, I'm the leader of this family. I'm, I'm the head of the house. My wife is supposed to submit to me. You're right. The Bible teaches all of those things. But consider what Jesus said. You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, for so I am. But that doesn't matter. I'm washing your feet anyways. Husbands, you might say, well, I'm the leader of this house. I'm the head of this home. And you're right. That's what the Bible says that you are. But if Christ washed our feet, you as a husband should seek to wash the feet of your wife and seek every day to support her. And your thought when you get home from work or whatever that looks like is not should be walking and what's everybody going to do to bless me? The mindset you should bring home is how can I walk in and 
make my wife's life a blessing? What can I do to bring joy to her? What are you doing, husbands, on a daily basis to serve your wife, to act like she is more important than you? Wives and moms, maybe you're looking at this basically saying, well, washing people's feet feels like that's all I ever do, right? That's all day, every day. And I know for some of you that that's not far off, right? You, you spend a lot of your time, you know, running around with, with little kids trying to do the hard work of investing into them and teaching them and caring for them. And that is a lot. But are you going to view that as a burden that's sucking your life away? Or are you going to view that as an incredible opportunity to live what Jesus has done for you? And even as we do think about parenting, and one of the biggest problems that we have as parents trying to raise, you know, naturally selfish children is that we haven't quite got over our selfishness yet, right? And investing in our kids is going to require me to say no to myself. And parenting, especially trying to do it right and do it God's way, is going to take time and effort and service, And you might look at your kids and say, well, they're just kids. I'm an adult, right? And I'm more important than they are. And you might, hey, you're the one putting bread on the table. You're the one providing for them. But that's where Jesus said, well, if I, your teacher and master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. And parents, you should be saying, hey, God tells me to treat others as more significant than myself. That applies to my kids, too. And that doesn't mean enabling them, spoiling them. No, that's not at all what it means. But it does mean, hey, parenting them and loving them is going to require sacrifice. And I am ready to do that. And if, guys, you want to spend more time thinking about that, join us on Thursday nights in March. We want to make sure we're living these things out. Well, when you're not spending time at home, probably the other place that everyone here is spending most of their waking hours is at work. Let's think about that area for a while. What is it going to look like to wash the feet of the people at your workplace? And those of you in positions of authority at work, that might get to be a struggle because you start thinking, man, a workplace without authority and structure sounds like a nightmare. And you're not wrong, right? That would be a nightmare. But notice that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not abolishing structure. He's not abolishing authority. He's affirming it. He's saying, I am the authority here. And if I am washing your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. So even if you are the authority at work, what what does that look like for you? It doesn't mean, you know, allowing disrespect or setting low standard or not expecting people to work hard. But are you generous to people? Do you treat others with dignity, respect, kindness? And when necessary, do you roll up your sleeves and jump in and get your hands dirty when it's needed to help and serve other people. Really, people should want to work for Christian bosses. They should view that as the most rewarding kind of work that they could possibly find. Yes, they realize they're going to be asked to work hard and the standard is going to be high, but they're going to know, hey, I have somebody leading me that actually cares about me. That's the way it should be. Or maybe you think about coworkers, and again, our natural bent is, hey, everyone else is here to help me get my job done. Yeah. Let's stop thinking that way as Christians. Walk into your workplace and say, what can I do to bless and to serve the other people here? And that might require sacrifice on my end. That might require me to give up privileges. Well, that's the exact example of Jesus. Let's think for a minute about our church. 
every church I've ever attended, every church I've ever been a part of could grow in loving and serving one another. There's always room to grow there. There always will be room to grow there. Our church needs to get better at loving and serving one another. Here's the problem with that, though. You know what's really easy? Identifying how other people can do a better job serving you. That's very easy. We can all do that. What's harder is looking in the mirror and considering what can I do to be better serving other people. And our church will be headed in the right direction on this when everybody shows up on Sunday morning and everybody shows up to life group or youth group or a men's event or a women's event or whatever it may be. And everybody walking in through the door is thinking, I am the least important person here. That's how Christ is calling us to think. And walking saying, hey, who else is here and what can I do to serve them and to bless them? That's the way God is calling us to look at life, to look at the church. Think about your neighborhood or your community. I was reminded being in Kansas last week that not every community is the fastest growing community in the United States of America, right? Not every community, you just look out and be like, oh, construction is just going on everywhere, right? It's, it's not that way everywhere. We live in a very unique place. And a lot of people, even some of you, you've moved here looking for a better life. And I don't think that's a wrong thing to do, to look for a better situation for yourself and your family. But God is calling us, hey, don't look out merely for your own interests, also for the interests of others. Are you only thinking, hey, I'm coming here to make my life better? Or are you also thinking, hey, what could I do to make someone else's life better? What can I do to bless the people around me, to be a good neighbor, to to serve them? And even as I thought about all these different areas, our home, our work, our church, our neighborhoods, and we, there's probably more that we could think of, one action I came back to was prayer. You want to know, how can I wash the feet of other people? question I would ask you, are you genuinely praying for others? You know, foot washing was a very lowly task, but think about what praying for other people involves. You're sacrificing your time for someone else, and what thanks are you getting? Well, zero, because you're doing something in private that no one else even knows that you're doing, but you're taking your time to lift up somebody else to God. That's a pretty sacrificial thing that you're not getting rewarded for. Most of the times, nobody is even going to know that you are doing it. But do most of our prayers kind of reveal that we actually think we're the most important person around? Or do our prayers reveal that we genuinely care about other people? Show me somebody's prayer list, what they're actually praying for, and you can tell a lot about what really matters to that person. What does that reveal about us? And even as we think about this, none of this is complicated. But the question is, are we doing it? Jesus, again, says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So I want to encourage all of you that this sermon is, the work of this sermon is not over. And none of us should leave here today saying, oh, that was interesting. We should all take time. And even if you flip over your worksheet and you look at the application questions, one of them just encourages you to camp on your home, your work, your church. And maybe you can add some areas to that. And I want you to think and examine yourself and consider your life. What is it reflecting? Husbands, what can you do this week to bless and serve your wife? Children, what are you going to do for your parents? How are you going to live differently at work this week?
How is Tom Brady doing it still at 43 years old? Well, he literally wrote a book that for a small phenomenal fee, you can buy and learn how to do that. Well, in the end, how helpful is reading that book going to be? Not much, not at all, if you don't do what he's saying. Well, much more important, knowing this, what we've talked about today, isn't what it's all about. Are we going to go do what Jesus has called us to do? Let's pray together. Father, we want to be humble. The name of Jesus is to be exalted above every other name. And every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yet he gave up privilege that he had, God. He lowered himself and he did the the dirty work of loving and serving other people. And if he, the Lord of all, has done that, God, how much more should we, your lowly servants, seek to do that for one another? God, and my prayer for this message is not just that we would grow in our understanding, but that this would be a good opportunity for all of us to examine ourselves and to be reminded, God, and that our homes, our workplaces, our church would be different because people are actually thinking and acting like Jesus Christ did and like he taught us too. So God, please change our hearts and change our actions, Lord. We want to be a greater reflection of Jesus Christ. We want to live more of what he has taught us to do, but also help us to be humble and realize, Lord, we need your help in doing that, God. And help us not to forget the reason why Christ came and did all this It wasn't just to give us an example to help us live a better life. It was because we needed a Savior. We need cleansing for our sin. If there's anybody here today, God, that they haven't come to that realization, let today be the day. Save souls. Help them to know that even though our sins are like scarlet, you can wash us white as snow, God. Fill us all with worship for Jesus and help us to live like him this week. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.